The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Awesome. Well, if you're not already there, you could turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We are in uh, week 4 of a series called Rest at the moment, where we're looking at what the Bible has to say about the pace of our lives and, and how we are called to live. And just before I, I go on, um, I've got a book here up the front and there's a copy down the back. Both of these copies will be down the back on the Connect table later on for sale. This book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've not had, a, had a, an opportunity to read this book yet, I highly recommend it. Um, John Mark Comer is a pastor in Seattle, and uh, this book came out a couple of years ago and has been, uh, been highly, was highly recommended to me, has some really practical tips, some really helpful uh, ways of understanding the world around us and how we are living at such a fast pace. So um, Kurong has these for sale for $34.99, so we're just going to sell them for $46 today. Um, no, $34.99, I'm not going to mark it up. Um, if you have the cash in you today and you can do that, that's great. Um, if, you, if you don't have the cash in you, you can either go online and do it and just make sure you clearly like, label that or just do IOUs um, you know, to say, I'll bring the money next week. And we're not a, debit, a debt collection agency. You know, if, if you don't pay, I will not have anything to be able to chase you up. So you know, if you just want to steal that book as well, I'll leave that between you and God. But I hope you don't. I hope um, you don't do that. Uh, Highly recommend this book. John Mark Comer is, um, it's, just, it's just a helpful book. So if you are struggling to kind of get on top of things and get on top of it and you kind of, and this, maybe this series has been important to you or helpful for you, can I recommend you picking up this book just to kind of carry things on? All right, uh, let's, let's pray and then we're going to get into God's word. Father, we thank you so much for your word and Lord, I ask that you would be glorified above all things this morning, Lord. That as we spend this time looking at what you have to say to us, Jesus, that you would glorify yourself in our midst. Holy Spirit, direct the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to you, to your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to learn about you and come to know you through your word. And so, Lord, I ask that as... I speak this morning that you would be with me and that anything that is, uh, that, that is my opinion or that is my words, Lord, that would be quickly forgotten and would drift away. But Lord, would your word endure this morning in our hearts? Convict us where we need it, Lord. Encourage us where we need it, Father. Amen. So we're looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 38. And to fully appreciate what I think this passage has, has for us, we really need to begin with God and who God is. When you take in the full gamut of everything that the Bible has to say to us about God, we soon learn that God is worthy of our worship. He is entirely worthy of our utmost praise and worship and glory and devotion. Our God is holy. There is no one like him. He, is, he, is, he stands alone. He is solitary in his excellency. He is supreme above all things, and no one can hold a candle to him. Our God is holy, which means he is beautiful. He is pure. He is perfect. He gives goodness its definition. Our God is limitless in power. 
He is infinite in his power. He possesses the limitless capacity to cause absolutely anything to come to pass that he so desires according to his good and perfect will. Our God is limitless in knowledge. He is perfectly acquainted with every single detail of the entire universe. From the atoms to the the smallest components of the tiniest atoms to the largest constellations of the biggest galaxies, our God knows them all. He created them all. And our God is unlimited in his presence. He is limitless in presence. His entire being being inhabits the entire universe at every single moment. God is, he always has been, and he always will be, infinitely supreme to every other other thing in every single way, and he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of us calling him our God and worshiping and serving him. And those things that I've just I've just listed there, they, that's just a mere sampling of the wonderful truths about God. And the reality is that we are not any of those things. We are not limitless in power, in knowledge, or presence. We are not limitless, limitless in holiness. We are not God. Our limits are, are as obvious to us each day as our need to sleep. We are, the, the, the need to, to eat and to drink is a constant reminder that we have limits. We need other things to survive. We are limited in our time. Not a single one of us can add another hour to our day or another day to the week. We can't do that. We are limited in space. Like the, the very fact that we are here right now and not simultaneously somewhere else right now is evidence of the fact that we have limits. We can't be everywhere all at once. We are very much limited. And the reason why I say that is because embracing our limits is critical to being able to rest well. Embracing our limits is critical to being able to rest well. The reason why is because when we believe that we have to do more or be more, when we believe we have to have those things, to do more, to to be more, we'll find ourselves becoming restless. When we feel like there's always more to do, we have to exceed our limits, we have to prove everybody else wrong, we have to go, go the extra mile, that's when we become restless. We live in a restless world, and over the past few weeks we've been looking at what are the things that make us restless, whether that's the pandemic or the overload of work or whatever it is. And I want us to consider today that part of the reason why we might find it hard to rest is because we struggle to embrace our limits. We struggle to embrace our humanity. See, as a species, we love, as a, as a, as a race, we love bursting through our limits. We, we love pushing beyond the boundaries whether that's by uh, human endurance or or some kind of major feat, whether it is uh, by some kind of advance in technology, we generally celebrate it when we push through boundaries and when when we break records and do all that kind of thing. And while we can see God's goodness in his creation too in that, there is also a flip side of that coin. There is a dark side of us that wants to reject the God-given limits that we have and actually try to replace God with ourselves. 
like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we reach out and try and snatch the fruit of trying to be more than what we were created to be. We, we feel the need to be more and to do more and to have more. And I think this is one of the reasons why, for example, our phones are so addictive. See, our phones, they're helpful to us, right? We make phone calls, send text messages, all that stuff. And yet there's something subliminally going on with our phones that makes us feel like we're more than what we were created to be. Just to give you an example, our phones are where we get updated on everything that's going on. Like if you've got social media, if you've got Instagram, you can open up your phone right now and inside of a minute probably tell me uh, what five of your friends had for breakfast this morning. You could tell me what celebrity on the other side of the world felt like when they, went to, when, they, when they woke up this morning. We can get an hour by hour, minute by minute, blow by blow account of the war that's happening in Ukraine. We are constantly being updated all the time, finding out all the information all the time. Now, what is that if it's not an attempt at omniscience? If it's not an attempt to know all things all the time? Or put it this way. Consider the fact that our phones make us always reachable. How often is your phone outside of arm's reach from you? Charging next to your bed, always in your pocket, or in your hand. And those phones make us always reachable. Like We are able to be contacted every moment of every day. There was a time in my memory where if you didn't make it from one end of the house to the other, you missed the phone call if you didn't make it in time. And if you didn't have an answering machine, you'd have no way of finding out who called you and you'd have to wait until they called you back and hope that you were on that side of the house again. But these days, we are always reachable. So reachable, in fact, that we feel we have to apologize if it takes a long time to get back to somebody. Like, how often do we start text messages saying, hey, I'm so sorry about my delayed reply. I wrote that message about 10 times this week. I'm so sorry it took me so long to get back to you. As if we should feel guilty about, about that. We're always reachable. And is that, not an, is that not an attempt at being omnipresent? Like, yeah, we can't be everywhere all at once, but the, the, the everywhere can, can come to us. The everywhere can come to us. And that's just our phones. Consider the pressures that many of us face with the huge workloads. The huge workloads that we have on our lives, uh, the, the expectation to be super, superhuman, to do more, to always work harder. I was talking to somebody just a few weeks ago, and he was saying to me, yes, we get paid for eight hours a day, but in my industry, it's generally the exception that you do 10 hours per day. That's just what is, is, is expected in his workplace. Consider the enormous pressures on mums to not just be raising their kids well, but also to have extensive careers, to make sure their kids are getting to school on time, packed with healthy lunch boxes and all that kind of stuff, and all just the constant pressures that are going on all the time. Consider the pressure on us always to have a well-articulated, orthodox and winsome opinion on everything, the amount of expectation that is on us to always be ready with that. Some of us are under pressure to always be strong, it might be that you've always been the strong one in the family and so you've got to hold it together. Or maybe it's the expectation to, to be perfect, like people are watching you and you have to perform. 
And just consider the constant bombardment of messages that say, unless you buy our product, unless you have a house of this size, unless you drive this car, unless you're married, unless you have this, unless you have that, unless you have any of those things, you're nothing. Constant bombardment of that stuff. If you're on Instagram, there's pressure always to be comparing yourself to people who seem to be just doing so much better than you all the time. Could it be that the limitations that God has created us with are actually there for our benefit? That actually the fact that God has created us with limitations, that is there for our benefit to enjoy and to rest in. Some of us here need the permission to say, actually, I'm not God. I know there is this temptation all the time to, to try and be God, to try and take his position and, and, and be worshipped ourselves. Some of us here need the permission to say, no, actually, I, I, I'm a human and I have limits. And what I want to suggest for us today is that embracing our own limitations, that's not only a thing that is good for us, it's actually an act of worship to embrace our limitations and say, actually, I'm not God, but there is a God who, unlike me, has no limits. And I think we can get that from looking at the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus is God incarnate. Fully God, limitless in power, and yet limited himself, submitted himself to the limits of human flesh. He is fully God and fully man. Jesus is not a mixture of the two. He's not a blend. He's not part God, part man. He's not fully God sometimes and fully man at other times. He is the perfect son of God in the incarnation, fully human and fully God. And incredibly, Jesus submitted himself to human limitations. He became hungry and needed to eat. Jesus became thirsty and needed to drink. He became tired and needed to rest and sleep. He felt in his human body real temptation, real grief, real pain, real anguish. Being fully God and fully man, Jesus also knew the pressure from other people. He knew, he knew the feeling of being under pressure of, of the expectations of, of others on him. Now, that's not to say that Jesus was double-minded at all, but right from the very first day of his ministry, people started picking up that this was, in fact, the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the long-awaited Christ, the King, who would lead God's people in victory against their enemies. And although that is absolutely true, that label came with baggage from people. That label came with baggage. Exactly what that meant meant different things to different people. And in the face of those expectations, Jesus embraced human limitations with the purpose of giving glory to his heavenly Father. He embraced his human limitations with the purpose of giving glory to his heavenly Father. So then what better teacher do we have than Jesus when it comes to learning what it means to be human? To actually stop and rest and consider that we aren't God. So this is my main point for today. That was my long intro. I apologize for a long introduction. This is my main point. We have limits. And embracing our limits enables us to rest and bring glory to God. 
So we're looking at this briefly from Mark chapter 1. And just to set the scene of, of what we just read just a few moments ago, Jesus is in Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee. And it was, according to Mark, the first day of Jesus' first, first day on the job. And it was a massive day. It was the Sabbath, and it began with him being beside the Sea of Galilee, uh, calling his first disciples, calling those men to come and follow him. And after these guys were following him, they went up into Capernaum, and Jesus started teaching in the synagogue there. And while he was teaching, a man came in who, who actually had a, he was possessed with a demon, and Jesus cast that demon out. Then after that, they leave the synagogue, and they head over to Simon and Andrew's house, Simon, uh, Simon Peter. And Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, and Jesus heals her as well. And it says that she got up and she started serving everybody. And then that night, when the Sabbath was officially over, as the, as the evening fell and the sun set, the whole town heard that this healer was in town. The Messiah was here. And so they start bringing their sick. They start bringing people who were demon-possessed. And it says that the whole town was gathered at the door. The whole town, hundreds of people, gathered at the door waiting to be healed by Jesus. And you can, you, can, and you can just sense how much of a party this would have been. Consider blind people who have been blind their entire lives suddenly being able to see. Lame people standing up and walking home. Children who had never been able to hear their mother's and father's voices suddenly with their ears opened all of a sudden. Imagine the joy and elation as person after person was made whole and their friends, their brothers, their sisters, their parents were able to witness their healing and be able to enjoy that and celebrate that together. This is the scene that's going on and we can imagine that after a full day of all these things going on and a full night of healing people and working with people, Jesus was tired. We presume that he spent the night at Simon and Andrew's house. It doesn't say that, but we presume that's what actually happened. And then what he, what he did the next morning is the focus of what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at three things that we see in this text. The first thing we see is Jesus and the Eremos, the wilderness, the deserted place. In verse 35, we're told that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Now, the word there for deserted place in the Greek is this word eremos. It means a desolate place, the wilderness, the, the desert. And it's an important word. It comes up in the Gospels a lot. This eremos, it was the place where, when Jesus was tempted in the desert. That happened in the eremos before he was, uh, before he was tempted by, by Satan where he fasted for 40 days in the desert, in the Eremos, in, in, in communion with his father. In Luke 5, we're told that Luke writes, Jesus actually often withdrew to the Eremos, to the, to the desert places, to the wilderness. And there he would pray. He did this often. In Mark chapter 6, we're even told that Jesus took his disciples with him on occasions. He, he would say, hey, guys, come with me and join me. Let's, let's go let your hair down for a little while. Let's go somewhere where there's nobody there and we can just, we can just rest. This eremos, this wilderness, that was where Jesus refreshed and revived himself in prayer and commun communion with his Father. This is what he was doing. He went out to pray. It was an important place for him. 
It was part of his regular rhythm and it was something that he invited his disciples into. And that desert, that wilderness, that eremos is something that Jesus still invites us into to have a regular rhythm of time with him. Do do you have an an eremos? Do you have a regular rhythm of being in the presence of God, in his word and in prayer? Do you intentionally take time out in your life to be revived and refreshed by God? See, notice, this wasn't just Jesus going out and getting into nature. This wasn't Jesus going out and just kind of enjoying creation. This was a desolate place, void of anything. It was distraction-free. There was, there was no people there. There was no shops there to distract, to interrupt him. There was no shops to browse, no noise to, to interrupt his time with God. Jesus, being tired from a big day, embraces his human limitations and goes into the nothingness to be refreshed and revived by nothing else than his heavenly Father. This is how embracing our limitations glorifies God. When we set aside a time and a space regularly as a part of our rhythm, as a means of being refreshed by God, what we're saying is, hey, I I need God on a daily basis. I need God on a regular basis. God needs to be not just part of my regular rhythm. God needs to be the foundation of my rhythm. I need to have time with God. When I was a kid, one of the things that I um, will never forget about, one one of my memories of my mother is that Every single morning from about four o'clock, she was out at the kitchen table reading her Bible. And and regardless of how late she went to bed, regardless of whatever else was going on in the world, she was out there every morning praying and reading her Bible, praying for us kids. Left a huge impact on me. It was a sacred space. We knew as kids we weren't allowed to interrupt that. She would just send us back to our rooms like, no, this is my time with the Lord. She called it her quiet time. I'll never forget, she used the same Bible over and over again, every single morning. It was this old leather maroon one, and it was falling apart. It was being held together by gravity. Like, to carry this Bible around, you need to have one one hand underneath and one hand on top because it was falling apart. And I said to her one stage, Mom, your Bible's falling apart. You've used it too much. You need to get yourself a new Bible. And I'll never forget what she said about this. She said, if your Bible's falling apart, you're probably not. We need that time in God's word to be refreshed and revived by God. He is the one that holds us together. So firstly, we see in the example of Jesus, the priority of going out into the Aramos and spending time with his heavenly Father. The second thing we're going to look at this morning is Jesus and the pressure that we face. So while Jesus was out at the Aramos, out of the desert, People start, at the back of the house, they start waking up and they notice that Jesus is gone. And so reading from verse 36, Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And I want to hone in on that, that line, everyone is looking for you, because that line represents expectation. That line represents pressure. Now, just exactly what Peter was expecting Jesus to come back and do is unclear. It might be the case that there were some people who were still there at the house who hadn't yet been healed. That's just conjecture, but the way that Mark writes this, that seems to be what he's at least hinting at. 
It might be that, there, that it was just a really good party and people just wanted to continue the festivities. It might be that this is just a really great first day and Jesus, you've got to get back. We've got to strike while the iron is hot. This ministry, this has got some legs to it. We can actually do something with this. Whatever it was that people wanted from him, it certainly flowed from the fact that he was the Messiah. You see, people had these, I've already mentioned this, but people had these expectations on the Messiah, what that would mean for them. The Messiah's come. What does that mean for me? That, that might mean healing for one person. For others, we know it meant an opportunity to get ahead in life. There were some of his disciples who for a long time thought, Jesus is great. I can really, I can really secure my future now. I can really get ahead in life. Maybe the expectation was a political one, that they had these expectations of it. Whatever it was, we can just imagine the kind of expectations on Jesus that sat behind the line. Everyone is looking for you. What are the expectations that are on you right now? And I don't, I don't want, want you to think about the general ones in life. What are the really specific things that are on you right now? It would be a worthy exercise this afternoon to go home and to spend 10 minutes, maybe write it down. What are the expectations on me right now? Where am I feeling pressure from? What pressures are on me as a father? What pressures are on me as a mother? What pressure is on me as a son or a daughter? Is there pressure on you to have a better job, to have a higher income? Is there pressure on you to, to, to work a bit more, work a bit harder? Maybe it's coming from your boss and you just feel this constant pressure. You've just got to, like, you don't have the amount of hours in the week to get everything done. You've just got to keep going. Maybe there's pressure on you from, from the culture around you specifically about, I just feel like if I don't, if we don't achieve this particular kind of lifestyle, if I don't have this car or whatever it is, then I'm, then I'm nothing. Maybe you're trying to meet the expectations of your parents around you. Maybe, maybe you're trying to prove yourself to someone, prove to the world that you can actually do this. Now, just to be sure, responsibilities, these are good things. But what do we do when those expectations start becoming too much? What do we do when those expectations start requiring of us more than what we're able to give? What do we do when those expectations, the pressures on us, start costing us big stuff? Like, is the pressure that is on you right now, is that costing you your relationship with God? Like, that's the first thing that goes. When the time pressure comes, that's the first thing that goes. Or maybe it's your health and you just aren't actually getting on top of some health issues. Maybe it's personal relationships. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. And those things always seem to be sacrificed in order to, to fulfill the expectations that people have on you. Maybe it's your integrity. Maybe there's, maybe there's some kind of pressure on you at work or from somebody in your life, and you know if you bow to this, it's a, it's a breach of your own integrity. It's a breach of what God has called you to do, but you feel the pressure to do that. It's clear that there's a great deal of expectation on Jesus and from his disciples and the crowds that he should come back and perform a particular function, do a particular job in a particular way. And so we can learn an awful lot from what Jesus says next in his reply to his disciples. 
This is the third thing that we'll look at. It's Jesus and embracing our purpose. They can't come out. Everybody's looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Now, at the risk of overstating, I think that's an incredible, incredibly important thing for us to hear Jesus say. And the reason why is because what he's doing here is he is showing us what it looks like to say no. What it looks like to say no. You see, there's this expectation on Jesus to come back to the house. The implication is that there's more work to do. But, but, but Jesus says no to this. And by saying no, he's actually demonstrating that it's okay to say no. When we consider the demands that are on us all the time, we need to remember that we have limits and it's okay to say no. It's not just okay to say no, it's important for us to embrace our limits and say no. At the start of this year, one of the things I had to learn, really needed to learn, was the importance of repeating to myself, I'm not God. I'm only human. And this was in the midst of a time that I felt a lot of pressure to, to be more than I was actually had the, capable, had the capability of doing. To be more, to do more. But to embrace my limitations and actually say, no, I can't actually do that. I can't be there for that person. I can't actually pull that thing off. I don't have what it takes to actually to start this other thing. I'm only human. I have a limit. I need to stop and I need to embrace my limits. That was when I was able to start resting and resting and trusting in God. You see, the reason why so many of us are exhausted and worn out is because we're trying to be God. The very essence of sin is to think that we ourselves are at the center of the universe. We are the ones who ought to be worshipped. We are the ones who this, is, this whole thing is about. We want to be God, and so we push past our limits, and we try to impress people, and we try to achieve more. But being at the center of the universe is a burden that we can't carry. We don't have the shoulders for it. This is why embracing our limits and stopping and resting is a means of worship. It's a means of saying, I am not God. I shouldn't be at the center of the universe. Only God should be at the center of the universe. And what we have here from Jesus is the way we are able to say that. Like, I'm not sure if you picked it up, but the reason why Jesus says, no, let's go into other towns, he says the reason why we're going to other towns is because I've got a different purpose. Like, whatever you want me to come back to that house and do, that, that might be a good thing, but I've got another purpose. My purpose here is to preach. That is why I have come, he says. That is my purpose. Like, he, he wasn't just kind of going, he wasn't just saying, no, I don't feel like it. He wasn't saying, no, you know, I don't really care. He was saying, no, I've actually got something else more important to do right now, and that is to preach, to preach the kingdom of God, to preach that God has come and that his kingdom is, is here, and to welcome sinners into his kingdom and to show what it looks like to be part of the people of God. That is why Jesus had come. It was after his time in the Eremos that he says this. It's clear for him what his, what his identity, what his purpose is in this particular moment, and that's what enables him to say no. 
You see, we live in this world full of pressure and it's all do this, do that, be more, have more, have everything or you're nothing. And we can say, actually, no, that's not my purpose. My purpose comes from God. My purpose comes from God and knowing who we are in God is how we're able to say no. How we're able to resist the idea that that we are made something we have to justify ourselves. This is why I began the sermon talking just about God. Because it's as our hearts and our and our lives are drawn to his glory and his bigness and his beauty that we will begin to see that he alone is worthy of being at the center of our lives. The reason why the eremos is important, the reason why spending God's time in God's word is important is because that's where we will come to know God. We open our Bibles, we read what it has to say, we calibrate our lives around God, and we, we, get, begin, we are drawn into his glory, into his, his infinite beauty, his infinite holiness, and we begin to worship him because that's what we are created to do. That is our purpose, to worship God. Your purpose, your, your meaning for your life is to worship God. And when we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else, and that, that crushes us. The amount of weight that puts on us crushes us. We come to know this God because he sent his son to us, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place, to become a sacrifice on our behalf, and to absorb the wrath of God that we deserve. You see, you and I, we have no hope of knowing this God who we're meant to worship were it not for Jesus Christ who came and laid down his life for us. The reason why is because we're sinners. The reason why is because we keep trying to put ourselves at the center of the universe. But God in his mercy and love and grace sent his son Jesus to absorb the wrath for our sin. Which means that when we come to God to worship him, it's because of Jesus Christ. Our sins are removed from us and we can come to know God. And Jesus did this for us because of, our, of his great love for us. With all of our faults and our failings, Jesus loves us and he, and he accepts us and he embraces us. Even though our souls are soaked in rebellion against him, even though our clothes are dripping with failure, we can come to Jesus and he accepts us as we are and he gives us the, our new purpose of glorifying and worshipping God in everything. And when we come to know God, we're given an awful lot of impetus, encouragement and permission to stop and say, I'm actually not God. I have my limits, but he does not. He is the one who is worthy of worship, not me. And that enables us to embrace our limitations in the face of a limitless God and not try to outdo the things that we place in ourselves, but to embrace what God has created us to be, and that is to worship Him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.